It's getting the right product into the hands of the right person at the right time. Hello, welcome back to the Wild Business Growth Podcast. This is your place to hear from a new entrepreneur or innovator every single Wednesday morning who's turning wild ideas into wild growth. I'm your host, Max Brandstetter, founder and podcast producer at Max Podcasting, and this is episode 112. This week's guest is Dan Gingas. He is a customer experience keynote speaker and coach, and his book has been called one of the best customer service books of all time. He knows a thing or two about how you can make your customers happy, and he spent some time at some of the top brands in the world. He also co-hosts a super cool podcast called Experience This. Let's hear what Dan the Man has to say. Enjoy the show. Alrighty, we are here with the Chief Experience Officer, the King of Customer Experience, Dan Gingis, DG. Dan, how you doing today? I am doing great. How are you doing, Max? I am doing great. I tried to say that just like you did. How did I do? (laughs) Uh, So we are going to get into the thick of customer experience. But before we get into that, I want to go a little bit into your background. And there's so many speakers out there. And obviously, as the pandemic has gone on, so many speakers looking to get more and more virtual, and you've done a seamless job at that. But before you even had more of an ultimate focus as a speaker, you've had some touch points, some stops along the way at some of the biggest, some of the most well-known brands and most impressive companies out there. I mean, Discover, Humana, McDonald's, you had such a lineup of amazing experiences there. What's the biggest thing you took away from a customer experience standpoint and just a, a marketing standpoint overall? Well, thank you. And I, I do think you've hit on something that makes me mostly unique in uh, CX speaker space uh, in that I spent most of my career in, in corporate America. And, you know, to me, it gave me experience. And, and I, I think that's so critical to being a good CX person. And what I mean by that is, I've had roles over my career in various different marketing channels, online and offline. I've had domestic and international roles, B2B and B2C roles, roles in companies that are regulated like financial services and healthcare, roles in companies that are super fun like fast food. And every one of those experiences gave me a different viewpoint and a different kind of arrow in my quiver for when I'm coaching or speaking to audiences or working with companies to be able to lean back on a piece of my background and say, I think this might be applicable here. And it kind of reminds me, because I've had the opportunity to lead four or five different social media teams. And almost always, there's a young person on the team that I've had a sort of mentoring discussion with. And I've asked them what they want to do with their lives and what have you. And the conversation invariably leads to, you need to get out of social media. And, you know, usually that makes them very sad because they love social media. And I remind them, there's no VP of social media at any company that I know of. And not only that, you got to have other experiences so that you can get better at what it is that you love. 
So I've spent time in direct mail and email and even like package inserts, you know, those, those uh, little buck slips that you get in a package that try to sell you on something else. I've, I've run that channel before the Sunday coupons and all that stuff. And I think that makes me a better marketer in digital channels. And so I've really appreciated the opportunities that I had in in corporate America to get a variety of, of work experiences that I think collectively help me do my current job now a lot better. And uh, for me, it eventually became, you know, my joke is uh, I like working for the Dan better than I liked working for the man. And nice. so uh, it's hey, just, anything I, that rhymes. Sign me yeah, up. Exactly. I just got to the point where uh, I felt like the problem with big corporate America was it was too big. And I uh, wanted to move faster. I wanted to innovate more quickly. Uh, I didn't want to play politics. And so going off on my own has been an amazing experience, a great new chapter, very different than what I was doing before. Uh, and one of the things that I've learned is that regardless of the financial success or not, what I do know is I'm having a whole lot of fun. And that that is a piece as I was sort of growing up in corporate America that I never thought about a lot. I always thought about, you know, higher salary, higher title, bigger bonus, all those things. And it, and never on that list was enjoying what I'm doing uh, or waking up every morning and being excited to go to work. And what I have found is, is and, you know, look, I had a 20 plus year career before I figured this out. That stuff's just as important. And so for me to be able to make money and do what I love is really put me in a good situation, at least for now. And, and we'll see where it takes us. That's spot on. I think so many people, it, it takes those years of different experiences for it to really click what matters to you most and what is the best role for you that gets you excited to get out of bed in the morning and not wake up every morning and be like, Oh my God, it's, it's the start of the work day already. Uh, so it's totally different. And so it's, it's neat that you've learned that along the way. You said that you've worked in so many different lines of marketing or promotions. When you look at the social media world, you look at direct mail, you look at email, the Sunday inserts, what would you say is the common thread that should be a focus? as you are marketing across any channel out there, what ties those together as the key success factor? It's getting the right product into the hands of the right person at the right time. You know, I'll give you an example of that. My, my first job out of college, I worked for a collectibles company called the Danbury Mint. So they do high-end collectibles, plates, dolls, Betty Boop figurines. Uh, they, we did a lot of sports collectibles. Because they had Dan in the name. Did you like working for them or not? <laughs> yeah, exactly. No, I did. I loved that job, actually. Uh, I worked there almost four years. And true story, I um, I guess they call this, I don't love the term, but they call it suiciding. I applied to, to business school and I only applied to one school, uh, which is Kellogg, which is back in my hometown of Chicago. And um, I decided if Kellogg let me into business school, I was going. And if they didn't, I was going to stay and continue to hawk collectibles. And Kellogg let me in. So that began that part of my career, but I, I really enjoyed, I, I loved uh, learning about marketing from the collectibles business because we sold hundreds, maybe thousands of products. And you could look at the list of products and look at most of them and be like, oh, I'm not interested in that. 
But then I might say, well, what college did you go to? And you tell me some Big Ten school. And I say, well, how about a, a replica of the football stadium? And you're like, whoa, yeah, I want one of those. And so <laughs> what I found was not all of our products were for everybody, but there was something for anyone. And the, the best example of that was one day the product development team came to the marketing team and they said, we got this brand new product we're so excited about. And they put on the table, I'm not making this up, a hand-painted porcelain red barn complete with some haystacks and some miniature sheep out front and i'm like what the hell is this a barn you want me to go sell a barn are you kidding and they're like yeah this is going to be a great seller okay so i go and do my research as a good marketer would and i start finding out I start looking at mailing lists and I'm like, holy cow, there's a lot of farmers in the United States. And then I look at farming magazines in a subscription list and I'm like, never even heard of this magazine and it has 40 million subscribers. And P.S., the long and short of it is that not only did the Red Barn become one of the best selling products in the history of the company, it turned into a series of 12 different barns. Oh we had God. winter barns, we had spring barns and fall barns and barns with cows and barns with pigs. And, and this whole series became a crazy bestseller because there's a ton of farmers out there who apparently have a lot of space on their fireplace mantle to put these things. <laughs> and it was a product that obviously was not something I was going to buy, but that really sort of lit up my eyes in terms of marketing to say, wow, it doesn't necessarily matter what it is I'm selling. I just have to figure out, and I, and I would do this for future products. I would literally sit at my desk I'd stare at the product and I'd say, who wants you? And how do I get you into their hands, right? So I'm, you know, it's a, some figurine or whatever. And I'd be like, well, who the heck wants you? Well, probably somebody who likes dance or whatever it is. And then that would help me to find the segmentation that I needed to go put this in front of people. I, and you said, what's the common thread? I think that is true in every marketing channel and social, especially Facebook and Google have made it so much easier to do that because I was dealing with analog marketing, not digital. And now we have the ability to pinpoint people down to almost a street address if we want to, uh, with all sorts of different demographics, psychographics, characteristics, but it does continue to come down to right person, right product, right place. And one last thing I'll say about that, and, and this has actually got a, a CX bent to it, is it's also really important, no matter what business you're in, to figure out who isn't your customer. Because if you can get your salespeople to not waste time trying to sell to people that will never buy from you, and if you're not investing in digital media that's putting it in front of eyeballs that are never going to buy from you, you can become a whole lot more efficient in your marketing. But a lot of times companies make the mistake of thinking that their product is for everyone. And unless you are a giant company like a Disney or maybe even a McDonald's, it's, it's not likely that your product or service is forever. Absolutely. And I, I should have known that this was going to happen, but you have made me want to purchase a barn collectible. <laughs> Congratulations on that. I could, I could probably hook you up. So let's dive in more into the world of CX or customer experience. So when you think back, what is the clearest first memory that you have of a brand that when you were a customer had phenomenal CX? Wow, that's interesting. Um, what's, what's interesting about that question, the reason why I'm hesitating is that I don't think even the term CX or customer experience 
is much more than a decade or so old. Um, I'm not sure that's how we thought about things in the past. And, you know, I host a, a podcast called Experience This, and my, my dad listens to it. Every episode he listens to it, 102 episodes, and he's heard them all. And he was a business owner uh, in the 70s and 80s. And, you know, he loves the show, but what he often tells me is, I used to do some of those things, not all of them. I wish I had done some more of them, but there wasn't a name behind them. I, I, we never talked about customer experience. It wasn't even a concept. Uh, maybe customer service was a concept, but not customer experience. And so that's why I'm hesitating on the answer to your question in terms of uh, early memories of brands, because I'm not sure that I thought of them that way. So if you frame it a different way, what's a very pleasant interaction that you had with a brand that comes to mind before you even started speaking about this topic? If you look at probably two of the most popular brands in the world right now, and you ask yourself, why does everybody talk about these brands? One is Amazon, one is Netflix. It is because they understand experience. I was one of the first early, early subscribers to Netflix back in the DVD days. And one of the things I loved about it, was, and they took this away, which sort of irritated me, was that you could rate all of the movies that you'd ever seen. And then you could go and see like, well, here's all the movies I've ever rated five stars. And here's the ever movies that I hated. And, you know, and somebody would say, Hey, did you, you know, did you like this movie? Well, hold on, let me check. And you go and there was my rating. Yeah. I thought it was a four out of five or whatever. And it was just such an interesting way of thinking about movies, which I, I just hadn't thought about in that way. Now, of course, Netflix is so much more than movies and, um, and it's all streaming and the DVDs have gone away and what have you. But I think that was definitely an early one for me. Amazon, the thing that I love about that company, and I, I, I'm a believer that Jeff Bezos is a genius. He might be an evil genius. I don't know, but he's a genius. <laughs> um, they never rest on their laurels. They continue to make things better and better. And every time you think that they can't deliver it faster, they introduce something that delivers it faster. You know, it started at three days and then two days and now it's same day and now it's same hour if you want. Now you get, I mean, it is unbelievable. And then, you know, every, I can't tell you how many companies I've consulted with that look to Amazon Prime and say, how do we do this? How do we make something that you could raise the price every year and 99% of people will never even question whether they should renew it because the value is so high that it just hits their credit card and they're like, yep, and they move on. And there's so few examples of that anywhere. I think the reason for that is that they just continue to add value to it. And you continue, I mean, when I first signed up for Prime, they didn't have any, any video, they didn't have any music, they didn't have any of this stuff. And they very easily could have monetized it by charging the extra and all that. I, you know, the last experience I had with Amazon, I, I ordered some pots and pans and uh, one of the lids came, it was a glass lid and it was shattered. And I called them up and I said, look, I just want another lid, you know? And they said, no, just keep the whole thing, uh, throw away the lid, keep the rest of the set. We're giving you a refund. Like, wow. And the amazing part was you go like how fast my mentality went from, well, crap, I got a broken lid to woohoo, free pots and pans, <laughs> right? <laughs> Who cares about the lid? <laughs> and it's amazing how you can change somebody's thought process that quickly just by being generous and by, by being customer centric. So 
I, when I was a kid, I loved getting mail. And so I always, I wrote to companies all the time uh, because I loved getting mail, which is funny that I, that my, the collectibles company was basically a direct mail business. But I do remember, I have this recollection of uh, writing to the fine folks at Dan and Yogurt when I was a kid, probably. Hold on, wait, we, we got to pause the tape for a second. Yet another company with the Dan in the name. Oh, ooh. Ooh, I think there's a trend here. Max, I, you're identifying something I did not know about. but you, I know a Dan in a Dan company when I see one. Wow. I'm going to see if I can, how many more I can name before this is over. Yeah, um, so animals. This is, this is Dan and Yogurt. And I wrote to them because when I was eight or nine years old, their containers of yogurt were too big for me. I couldn't finish them. And I used to get in trouble because you know my mom didn't like that I wasted it. And so I wrote them a letter and I said, could you come out with a kid size? Could you come out with a smaller size? Uh, and to this day, I believe that they stole my idea, but you know, it's okay. I'm over it. But they did send me a letter back and they sent me some stickers and they sent me some coupons. And I, at nine years old, I just felt like I was on top of the world because Dan and yogurt wrote to me. And, and, you know, and so I've always sort of been a brand fan uh, since then, just because, uh, of something simple that they did, um, which was to respond and, and they didn't have to. And, um, you know, they probably knew the letter was from a kid. That's probably, even though I didn't know that was customer experience at the time, that's probably the earliest memory I have of just being attached to a brand because they did something nice for me. That's awesome. I mean, I'm just a smile to my face as you're talking about it. I think any brand that makes you feel like you're on top of the world, obviously they're doing something right there. And it wasn't like, they built a mountain and put you on top of the world. It was just the fact that they reached out to you when they didn't have to and made it so personal that you felt a connection there. What is the easiest way to distinguish between customer experience and customer service in the traditional sense? Sure. So uh, I'm stealing this quote from someone. I don't even know who it's from. So apologies. We'll, we'll call you anonymous. But uh, the quote is that customer, uh, customer service is what happens when customer experience breaks. I think that's an awesome quote, and I think it's generally true. If you think about it, we only call customer service or email or tweet at customer service when we're having a problem, for the most part. Uh, and I've done this, uh, you know, this kind of little riff in contact centers before, especially to agents that spend time on the phone. And I've said, you know, raise your hand if you've ever answered the phone and it was someone on the other line just to say how great of a job you're doing. And everybody laughs, right? Because that's happened never. So we talked, so we need customer service when something is disappointing, it breaks, it, it misses our expectations, whatever. And so customer service, therefore, is a subset of the experience. The perfect customer experience, you never need to talk to customer service because everything is delivered on time, everything is super convenient, it exceeds your expectations, it's seamless, it's easy, but you never have to talk to a call center. Customer service then becomes a piece of the experience. But the experience is really every single interaction that a customer has with your brand and how they feel about it. And so every single interaction generally starts with marketing. Marketers, in fact, I think their new job is to promise an experience that they know the company can deliver on. That's what marketing does. Is they say, come on and do business with us, buy our product, buy our service, whatever, become our customer, and you'll feel this. And then if we're doing it right, we then deliver that and more, and we exceed the customer's expectations. But customer experience also includes 
the finance department, even though they don't think so, because we send out invoices or receipts or, you know, what, what have you, statements. And those statements may be difficult to read, or they may have confusing language on them, or they may be incorrect and have errors. And that's all experience. And so that's one of the things I love about experience is that it encompasses everything. And therefore, there's so much opportunity to play around with both eliminating pain points on one side, and then improving and creating memorable moments on the positive side. So I like that distinction there between the pain points and the memorable moments. If you're a brand, or even if it's even if you're more of a, a solopreneur, or consultant, entrepreneur that's on your own, where should you focus your time along that experience journey? Should you spend time focusing on making those memorable moments, or avoiding and substituting something in for those pain points? Well, the answer, Max, is yes. <laughs> ah. I mean. You sort of have to do both, but let's start even a step backwards. The one thing that, that companies tend to mess up, and I'm going to specifically point at B2B companies and even more specifically at SaaS companies that tend to mess this up, is there is such a focus on sales, on new customers, on new logos, that they ignore what I like to call the leaky bucket. And the leaky bucket are the customers that are walking out the back door because you're not delivering an experience to them that they think is worth paying for. And some of them are walking out the door and they're telling you, and some of them are walking out the door and they're just ghosting you. Where, where do you think they're going, by the way? They're going to your competitor because you haven't delivered what they wanted. I was, I mean, I was at a B2B that literally the, the sales team had to, for every million dollars in net sales, they had to sell like $1.3 million to account for the leaky bucket. Now, the better answer is to focus on plugging the leak in the bucket and to change the focus to instead of being about always growth in new sales, let's keep the customers we have. Because after all, they're the ones that are paying our paychecks, keeping the lights on, making sure that our business is a, continues as a going concern. Without customers, we don't have a business. And so, the, what I always advise people, no matter what size your business is, start by focusing on the customers you have and making sure they stay with you. And that's going to then give you ideas on how you might attract other customers. Also, when you create remarkable experiences for existing customers, they tell other people. And so they become part of your marketing department. They share on social media. There are studies that have shown that people are far more willing to share positive experiences than negative experiences on social media. The problem is, as consumers, we don't have very many positive experiences to share. Nobody has ever said, let me tell you about that perfectly average restaurant that I went to last night, right? It's got to be something that's great or something that's horrible. And unfortunately, and I'll ask audiences this when I'm on stage, you know, who remembers the last time they were disappointed with a brand? Every hand goes up. And then, well, who remembers the last time they were so excited about an experience they couldn't wait to tell their friends and family? And like three people raised their hand. Therein lies the opportunity. So I would say, I guess if I had to pick, I would say focus on, you know, creating new memorable experiences. But the problem with only doing that is that customers have less patience than ever before. And if you screw up, and especially if you don't own, to the, own up to the screw up and are not willing to fix the screw up, they're out of here. And sometimes all it takes is one bad experience and a customer's gone, never to come back. 
And so if you have known pain points, if you have a difficult application process, a confusing website, whatever it is, it's a big risk to, to keep going with that because you're feeding that leaky bucket because people will get frustrated and they'll leave. And so I do honestly believe you have to focus on both in order to really have the best kind of experience. Well, it makes sense because you can't obviously ignore the leaky bucket, um, especially with, with that metaphor. That's a very vivid <laughs> metaphor. But on the positive side, it's kind of a fun challenge for anybody, any brand to think, how can we create moments, stops along this experience journey with customers that are truly remarkable and truly one of a kind. So I think that's fun. It kind of in, inherently has some brainstorming aspects to it. When you are considering what makes a remarkable moment, what comes to mind? Like, is there any particular touch point with the customer that you should focus on when you're working on these magical moments as I throw confetti in the background and you know <laughs> wave my magic wand? Well, I do have a, uh, a sort of a formula that I've developed for creating uh, remarkable experiences. And uh, it has an acronym that is, uh, that is called WISE. The W stands for being witty, which is not being humorous, not telling jokes, because what I find humorous, you might find offensive and, and vice versa, but being clever about your language and being a little bit different, funky, friendly, unique, uh, not just going with what everybody else goes with. The I is immersive. And that's about creating experiences that people feel in their bones and that are consistent throughout the journey. Um, so there's a great example that I love to share of a, a liquor company called Sipsmith Gin. And uh, Sipsmith is a London-based gin. And when they do tastings, instead of like your typical, they hand you a little plastic cup and you're supposed to chug it, which of course is not how most people drink when they're out of college. Well, well most people. Well, yeah, I'm not judging, um, <laughs> but uh, but these guys will set up a, basically will do a pop-up bar. They have this beautiful, wonderfully dressed bartender. And the first thing he asks you is, what kind of tonic would you like? Now, I'm actually, uh, I know you're going to ask me later for some hobbies, but I'm actually uh, a licensed bartender. And I did not know that there were different types of tonic. And so he explained to me that there's Indian tonic and there's citrus tonic and there's uh, Mediterranean tonic and all this. And he described it to me. All right. So I picked a tonic to go with my gin. He then sends me over to the garnish bar. Now, a good gin and tonic is usually gin, tonic, and a squeeze of lime. But this garnish bar, besides from having limes, had lemons, oranges, strawberries, rose petals, black pepper, all of these different spices and seasonings and unbelievable choices. Uh, and I actually did the math. There were over a billion different combinations that you could make in terms of a drink with the garnishes. Oh my God. Tonics. Then they send you to one last station, which is where you get a little note card and a tiny little clothespin. And the idea is, is that you give a name to your drink that you just created and you use the clothespin to pin the name to your cup. And then guess what you think happens next? Everybody takes pictures of it and puts it on Instagram. And they create this shareable moment. And, and the reason I put it under immersive is because if they just, just go back to comparing to you, they hand you a little plastic cup and say, here, try our new gin. Okay, well, it was good. 
uh, it wasn't good. I'm off to something else. But instead, they had me go through these stations and participate and make choices and make it my own and personalize it. And it was so immersive that I watched people. And, and look, gin's a, especially gin is a liquor that a lot of people don't care for or it's not, or they don't know anything about. And I saw people coming in that, I mean, I heard them. They're like, man, I only drink vodka and this is really good. Or, you know, I'm a whiskey fan, uh, but whatever. And, and, but, and it was opening people's eyes because they were creating an experience around it, not just handing me, uh, you know, a little bit of liquid. The S which is related to that is in wise is shareable. And that's about being intentional about creating moments that people want to share. That moment where you put the, the little sign on your drink, they don't tell you to share it to Instagram. They know you're gonna do it because it's a shareable moment. A friend of mine, Tyler Anderson, once said, I, I love this. He said, if you have to tell people it's a selfie spot, it probably isn't a selfie spot. You know, so if you have to tell people what to do with a hashtag, you are probably not talking to the right people. It's about creating moments that people want to tell their friends about. And then the E and Wise is about being extraordinary. And for me, extraordinary just means a little bit better than ordinary. So that perfectly average restaurant that nobody talks about, they don't have to change every facet of the experience to get me to talk about it. They could just do what a steakhouse near my house did when we brought our son there for his 14th birthday. He picked it out for dinner. They knew that we were having a birthday celebration. We walked in the door and the maitre d' handed him a signed birthday card. I was blown away. And then he sort of winked at him and said, we got something for you special later. And I sat down and I thought to myself, I know what it isn't. It's not a slice of cake, right? Because that's what everybody does. And sure enough, they came out with a box of handmade in their own kitchen chocolate bonbons in this beautiful box on a plate. And they had spelled out with cocoa powder, happy birthday. And instead of a candle, they had a sparkler. And I'm telling oh you, God. if all they had done was taken the candle and made the sparkler, like that was so cool. The presentation was unbelievable. And of course, what does my 14-year-old son do? He hit Snapchat, I hit Instagram and maybe Facebook. And like, of course you take a picture of that and you share it. And that gets me thinking that one of the key things about Extraordinary is we spend so much time being ordinary. So think about that birthday thing. How many people, Max, how many companies, how many people just back in the days where you traveled and you went through an airport and stayed at a hotel, how many people know your birthday? Tons of companies know your birthday because you've shown them your driver's license or they've asked for your birthday or whatever. Now, how many companies recognize your birthday? Almost none. And why not? They have the data. It's a simple thing to do. We all have birthdays. And it's one of those things where when a company does remember that it's your birthday, it makes you stop. And it's not a hard thing. It's not an expensive thing to do. Doesn't mean they have to send you a, you know, a, a nice watch for your birthday. Even just remembering your birthday and, and saying happy birthday to you is enough, which costs absolutely nothing. Um, so that's about being extraordinary. And uh, so those are, the, to me, the four components of how you create remarkable experiences. You don't have to have all four, but the more you have, the more remarkable the experience will be. I love that acronym. It's why it's literally wise, but it's it's clever, it's witty in itself. I got to say I think the experience of hearing you detail these is so fascinating because 
it's such a good mix of the background as well as real life examples. And every single example is so personal and so clear. Like son's birthday, a birthday example or personalized cards, personalized meal offerings, things like that. It's just crazy when you think about it because as you said, so many companies out there have the opportunity to do these things, but so few companies will actually take that step and do it. So I feel like that's where the magic happens. Yeah, or they'll do it just like everybody else does it. And that is ordinary. And and I'm not saying you should stop, if you're a restaurant, you should stop bringing out a slice of cake because it's very nice. And frankly, people expect it at this point. But I do think you can you can rethink or reimagine that experience and think about how to do it slightly differently. Like I said, I think just the addition of the sparkler was pretty freaking cool, you know, because it, those things look neat and everybody, you know, adults think they're cool. And, and so it's just about reimagining some of this stuff and trying to be a little bit different than the guy next door. Uh, let me give you an example um, that's, that's right now. It, it, we all got these emails uh, when COVID first hit. We all got these emails from every company that we've ever even heard of, let alone done business with, that basically said the same thing. They said, you know, our safety is your utmost concern. Here's what we're doing to help our employees. Here's how we're cleaning our offices better. And here's a link to the CDC. And right. we just delete, we ended up deleting them all because they just were coming, you know, millions of them. I got an email from Charles Schwab, which is the brokerage firm that I work with. and Charles Schwab's email was completely different. Charles Schwab's email started with, we know that you must be nervous about a volatile stock market. So we wanna share with you the resources that we have to help you through this difficult time. And I was like, they know me, this is awesome. Like, yes, that is exactly what I'm nervous about, Charles Schwab, thank you very much. And by the way, Charles Schwab is the company that I would expect to talk to me about the stock market, right? You know, if stock, if the Starbucks emailed me about the stock, the stock market, that's not going to make a whole lot of sense, but that's exactly what I would expect from Charles Schwab. So it's on brand. It is empathetic because they understood the emotion that I was going through, which was fear and nervousness. And it's helpful because they provided me with resources to address the emotion that I was feeling that I wanted to correct. And so I thought that was awesome. And you know what they didn't do? They didn't talk to me about how they were cleaning their offices because I don't care how they're cleaning their offices. Sorry, that's just not that important to me. But instead they focused on what was important to me. And so I always, you know, when I talk about whys, um, I try to use the, the three filters because I know that there are people that are listening here that are in all sorts of different size companies. Some that have tons of budgets, some that are a one man show or one woman show. And I always say that the, the answers should be simple, practical, and inexpensive. So when I talk about making an experience extraordinary, I'm not saying that you gotta go, you know, hire a fireworks company to shoot off real fireworks for somebody's birthday. Like that's <laughs> ridiculous. It's tens of thousands of dollars and that's, yes, it's memorable, but that's not what I'm talking about. Simple, practical, and inexpensive. Charles Schwab's email did not cost them any more than the email that talks about the cleaning procedures, right? And so it was simple, it was practical because it helped me and it didn't cost them more money. Uh, it's why one of the places I love to look at for any company that has a physical location, one of the first things that I look at is their signage. How do you communicate to people 
in and around your building, whether you're a restaurant or a retail store or what have you, or a hotel. How do you communicate to people? Are your signs fun to read? Are they interesting? Are they witty? Or do they just check the box and, and, and be informational? You can have fun with signs. And that's simple, it is practical, and it's inexpensive. So I always try to run through those filters so that people, and, and you'll note, I appreciate you noticing that I, um, that I share lots of examples. And I, I, it's very intentional because I don't, I don't want anybody to think that I'm sitting here telling you what to do. Because who am I? I'm, I'm just a guy. I've, I've had some experience, yes, but <laughs> I'm just a guy. So don't do it because Dan says so. Do it because there's great examples that will show you that A, should inspire you, and B, will show you how other companies have been successful. I love sharing those examples, but every example that I share is meant to be simple, practical, and inexpensive, or is meant to have a takeaway that is that. So I'll admit the Sip Smith example, like they put some money into these pop-up bartending things. Like that's, that's not, I wouldn't put that one as inexpensive, but the whole concept of creating an immersive experience and creating a shareable moment doesn't have to be expensive. And some of the things that they did, like allowing me to personalize the name of my drink, for example, that's not expensive. And so, you know, sometimes I, I'll often tell audiences, maybe it's a whole B2B audience and they'll say, and I get this question a lot. So now I'm proactive about it. You know, they'll say, well, a lot of the examples you shared were consumer businesses. So I don't know if this applies to me. And I, my answer, uh, which I try not to, to sound sarcastic is to say, well, that depends. It depends on whether you're marketing to humans or not. And they pause and sort of look at me and I'm like, everybody that you are marketing to is a consumer in real life. And so that is how they're judging their experiences from a consumer's lens. It's what we know. And so the, the retail store, if I go into a bookstore and last night I had a, a really great waiter at a restaurant who gave me awesome recommendations on the menu and who I trust completely. The next day when I walk into a bookstore, I kind of expect the person behind the counter to give me awesome recommendations and help me. Right. And, right. and yet that has it changes nothing. your expectations. It totally does. And so it, you are being judged on, you're being compared to every other experience that your customer has had as a consumer or as a business person. Um, and so even if you look at something like Sip Smith and say, well, I'm not in the alcohol business, you can dissect that experience that I described and you can take pieces out of it and apply it to your own business. Let's apply this to a new podcast for your business. What would you do to take that podcast from being ordinary to extraordinary? Email me at max at maxpodcasting.com to bring that extraordinary podcast to life. Now, back to Dan the Man, Gingus. So let's switch gears a little bit. Let's get to a segment on inspiration and creativity. And you alluded to this earlier when you talked about hobbies. So I have to dive into it now. How did you become a licensed bartender and what, <laughs> what was the biggest thing you enjoyed about that? Uh, so while I was at the Danbury Mint Hawking Collectibles, uh, I went to bartending school at night. Uh, it was two weeks and like two hours a night. It was some of the most fun that I've ever had. And I did it just because I wanted to learn how to do it. I didn't really have a whole lot of interest in becoming a bartender, although I spent a little time bartending. 
but that, it was mostly just I wanted the skill. And what's funny is, I mean, I was 23 when I did that, and my whole life I've used that skill. And uh, and it's one of those. It's like playing the piano, right? When when you can sit down and play, a, you know, you can sit down at any piano and play it. Uh, I can go to anybody's house and go to anybody's bar set up and figure out how to make a drink out of whatever they have. And it's just sort of a fun skill. And I loved it. I, I just had a blast in it. I don't remember all the drinks that I learned after all these years, but uh, just the technique and, and that sort of thing. I, I thought it was fascinating. People must be very fond of you when you come to their parties and um, happen to have this secret talent. I've, I've been asked multiple times at parties to serve as the bartender and I'm always happy to, to do it. And yeah, it's just one of those skills that comes in handy quite a bit. <laughs> so um, I, I'm kind of happy I have it. One skill I have that does not come in handy except for uh, my own entertainment is uh, I am a, a secret pinball wizard. I love pinball. Really? Um, I have five machines in my basement. And, That's it? Uh, uh, well, I grew up with two of them, and and when my parents downsized, I uh, I, I swooped in and took them. But uh, yeah, that's always been a, a hobby of mine, and uh, I've been enjoying watching the resurgence of uh, pinball a little bit around the world. I'm assuming you're a big fan of the song Pinball Wizard, and that doesn't uh, really relate to who, of course, absolutely, absolutely. But I, I think between pinball and bartending you are like the ultimate host so you've clearly worked on <laughs> right. i got the <laughs> game room aspect. down the game room and the and the uh, the bar yes yeah. so uh rest of the house forget about it <laughs> you also have an endless list of party tricks and stand-up comedy routines <laughs> that's right i got a pretty good selection of 80s music too if you enjoy that <laughs> when you think about it what activity are you doing or or maybe it's just you know, a certain part of your home that you're in at the time or going for a walk. What are you doing when you feel most creative? And I'll, I'll shout out our mutual buddy, Ryan Fullen, who actually introduced us for this interview. But back in his episode, he talked about it can be as simple as looking up, like going outside and looking up can be such an amazing thing for clearing your mind and helping you be more creative. When, yeah. when does creativity strike you? For me, my grandmother, uh, may she rest in peace, uh, had a wonderful phrase that I think about a lot that she, she used to refer to airing your brains out. And, uh, and that means going outside and just enjoying the fresh air. And, uh, and I, I just love that term. And so for me, it's usually taking a walk. Um, I, I adopted a shelter dog uh, during COVID, uh, an older dog. And so I now have a, a friend to go out on, uh, on walks with, which has been really fun. And I just, I, I think being out in the fresh air, I prefer summer, uh, even though I live in Chicago, but uh, even being out in the crisp fall air or what have you, I, I, I think that generates a lot of, um, a lot of creativity, uh, flipping through a magazine or, um, I, I still am a, I'm a sucker for print. Like I, I still yeah. uh, love sitting and reading the Sunday newspaper, like the actual Sunday newspaper. So I, I can find inspiration there as well. And, uh, I also read a lot of books. I find that with business books, I tend to be a little bit more of a skimmer and try to kind of find a few, just a couple of takeaways that'll help me. It doesn't really help me to doggy ear 70 pages and highlight all this stuff because I know I'll never go back to it. So I'm kind of looking for that one or two pieces of inspiration that I can, uh, you know, go do something about. But even the, but the pinball thing too, the I, the reason I loved, I love pinball and it started really in, high school and college is uh it's a stress reliever for me 
it's just, you know, it's in a way that I guess some people see in video games as well, but I love the physical, like the physics of, of pinball. Um, <laughs> the physical you, physics. Yeah. You, sorry. That didn't sound great, but no, that's, but you know, there's the, the fact that it's, that it's real. You're not staring at a screen. It's, you know, there's, you know, I'll go beat up a machine and just get out a lot of energy uh, and feel really, really great after that. Um, <laughs> so it's a stress reliever as well. Uh, and I think it, we all need whatever it is that you need to relieve stress and kind of reset. Yes, definitely. Might as well have some fun or play some games while you're doing it. Okay, so let's get to a fan favorite segment called the Wild Business Shoutout of the Week. The Wild Business Shoutout of the Week! <laughs> so fan favorite, Dan favorite segment, Wild Business Shoutout of the Week. This is where we talk about a brand or campaign that caught our attention. And not that many people have heard of Starbucks. And by that, I mean, everyone has heard of Starbucks. But you might not have heard of what they did related to Zoom. You mind sharing that example? Yeah, absolutely. I loved this example. Um, Starbucks sent out to its uh, customers, I believe the ones that are on the rewards program, a whole series of virtual backgrounds that look like you're sitting in a Starbucks. And they took actual pictures from a bunch of Starbucks all over the world. They even took some that uh, have motion in them that, you know, like there's a nitro cold brew sitting next to you and you can see the, the bubbles rising and that sort of stuff. And so I wrote a, a blog post on my website called How to Work from Home from Starbucks. And, uh, <laughs> and I, I just think it's brilliant because it's just so in touch with what people are going through right now. We all wish we were sitting in Starbucks, but yet we're also all playing around with virtual backgrounds and, and what have you. And so what I love about it is it's not something that tries to get you to buy more Starbucks. It's not a salesy technique. It's just honing in on... Uh, something that people are feeling and experiencing right now and then inserting your brand in in a really creative way. So um, I encourage you to check out the different backgrounds. I think the way they did it was really clever. And again, it didn't feel like they were trying to sell me anything. So I, I just loved it as a marketing campaign. It's funny when you think about it because you hear so much about this concept of the third place and kind of how Starbucks has really tried to build that as you have your home, you have your work or your office, and then the third place, you kind of have another place that you can go and hang out. It's kind of like an in-between, and that is Starbucks. Now, obviously, in this crazy time, all of those have been combined into one. Um, but how can you, as a brand that is that third place, insert yourself, still be sensitive to what's going on, but still come up with something clever? And that was totally perfect. And as you pointed out, the idea of being at home, but also being quote unquote, at Starbucks at the same time. It's pretty crazy, but also really, really clever or witty going back to your wise acronym. And I think it was totally well executed. As a personal preference, because I've seen people go back and forth about this, outside of even the Starbucks example, are you someone, Dan, who enjoys using virtual backgrounds on Zoom or do you prefer it without? I generally go without it's, I mean, I, they're fun. I, and I, I do think that it's fun for people to be expressive right now. I think it's important. And we're all 
we're all having fun with sort of meeting people's kids and meeting people's pets. And I know I have, I have both a dog and a cat and my cat seems to always know when I'm on video because he walks right across the keyboard and right in front of the camera. <laughs> right on cue. Yeah. And so in that sense, I think, you know, that virtual backgrounds are fun for people and, and you should use them. I have played around with them and have mostly gone without, but I, uh, you know, if I was going to use one, I'd probably use something like the Starbucks one. Cause I just, I think it's pretty fun and it'd be funny to like have somebody do a double take and be like, wait, are you, at a, how are you at a Starbucks right now? I think <laughs> that would be fun. Yeah. I have seen people be very clever with them. I'm kind of, I'm in the same boat. Like, I don't think I've ever put on a virtual background just because I kind of like that more personal, natural feel of being just wherever you are. But I have seen people be very, very clever with them, especially when you can use any image that's on your computer or kind of, you can kind of make memes out of it now, basically in Zoom form. So, so it's a unique opportunity to do something like this. And Starbucks just nailed it. So let's wrap up with some rapid fire Q&A. You ready for it? I'm ready. All right. I'm ready as well. Let's get wild. What is your favorite Chicago food of all time? Or maybe Chicago restaurant? Uh, it's got to be deep dish pizza. I have to make that argument. And any of my New York fans. You must yeah, really be from Chicago. <laughs> yes. I, I know about your thin crust that you fold and the, and the grease runs down your arm. But Chicago <laughs> deep dish is where it's at. That argument cracks me up because... They both taste really, really good. They do. I like I like New York pizza. Too. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's like we're there's not there's no losers here. I'm happy You're to right. taste test any different type of pizza there's out there. Do you say pop or soda? Uh depends on the audience because I like to know my Ooh, audience. Okay. I, know, I, knowing I that I'm from Cleveland originally, how would I you would say? I would say pop. Nice. Cool. Yes, yeah. I, you Cleveland is considered Midwest, right? Yeah, absolutely. Sort of. Yeah, um, so. So, Different yeah, so time, I, east, Eastern time zone, but not not too far from Chicago. Yeah, I grew up with pop, but I when I spent time on the East Coast, I adopted soda. <laughs> the ones I don't understand are the people that say Coke, no matter what it is. That one confuses me. Yeah, that one's right. Unless it's actually Coke. When it's different ones, it's, yeah, it's absolutely crazy. But I've had the same experience. Grew up saying pop and thinking soda was like the weirdest sounding thing ever. Now that I'm living on the East Coast, you hear soda so often that pop starts to sound a little bit weird. But well, in, my heart, pop, in my heart, it's always pop. So, But if you say pop on the East Coast, you get looked at like you're an alien. So, Right, exactly. <laughs> yeah. you, get look, you get looked at like you're drinking pop. It's crazy. Yeah. But what is your favorite cocktail to make? I like making a traditional gin martini. I think it is one of the most sophisticated drinks and when done well is uh is just the perfect drink and to continue the trend from earlier does that have anything to do with the fact that your last name has the word gin in it <laughs> absolutely not but that's a great call out man i think there's a lot of subliminal stuff going on here <laughs> it could yeah i never gosh i never thought of that but <laughs> I feel like I'm like introducing you to your own name throughout this interview. I know. I know. I am. I am familiar with the fact that Dan G, you know, spells dang. So uh, if I say the word dang a couple times, you can call me on it. There we go. That's pretty hardcore. What is your biggest pet peeve? People who crack their knuckles. It's like, Ooh, yeah. it's like uh, nails on a chalkboard to me. 
You're not even, Ooh, that, ah, man, that's a double, <laughs> not, not even going to go there. And yeah. then what is your, what is your favorite type of cookie of all time? Uh, good old chocolate chip, Toll House chocolate chip. There you go. However, I'm going to share with the world my family's secret Toll House recipe. You ready? Yes, please. Make the Toll House recipe on the bag and double the chocolate chips. You're welcome. Oh, okay. All right. We got a new recipe we got to try. <laughs> Perfect. All right. That Yeah, that sounds like a pretty good good mix there. Quite the ratio. Well, Dan, this has been awesome. Thank you so much for sharing your first name, your last, no, <laughs> sharing all your stories and examples and amazing lessons from remarkable customer experience. Really appreciate your time and, and sharing everything. Where's the best place for people to connect with you, to buy your book and anything else you want to shout out? Well, Max, first of all, it was dang nice to talk to you. And I, I hope <laughs> your, uh, your listeners got maximum value out of it. Oh my God. You're going to bring a tear to my eye. Uh, so you can catch me at dangingis.com. It's D-A-N-G-I-N-G-I-S-S. Uh, my blog is there, book, podcast, everything you need to know about me is there. Uh, and then I'm also very active on uh, Twitter at dgingis and also on LinkedIn. So be happy to connect and I practice what I preach. So if you uh, ask me questions or, uh, or shout out, I will respond to you because uh, that's what I teach others to do. So I will, you'll find me to be very responsive. Absolutely. With maximum effort as well. And exactly. then final thing here, final thing, final thoughts. It could be a quote, just a line, anything you want to leave us with, send us off, send us home here. In this strange world that we're living in right now, uh, customer experience has really never been more important because Customers are, uh, we, because we're consumers as well. Uh, people are looking for calm and comfort We want and confidence. We want to know that things are going to be all right. And I believe that one of the places that can provide calm and confidence for us is the companies we do business with. And if they're calm and confident, then we're going to be as well. Parting piece of advice is try to think of ways uh, to make your customers calm and confident right now. And they are going to thank you when this is all over and they're going to stick with you uh, and be your customers for a long time to come uh, because you'll be one of the few companies that's doing that. Dan, the man G who is calm and confident himself. Thank you so much, Dan, for sharing your story, your first and last name, probably some middle name nicknames in there as well. And thank you, wild listeners, for tuning into another episode. If you want to hear more wild stories like this one, make sure to subscribe to this podcast on your favorite app and tell a friend about the show. And you can find out more at maxpodcasting.com. Until next time, let your business run wild. Bring on the bongos! Bongos!